0: Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit! Today's special guest, Bubba Ray Dudley! And now, here's your host, Ross Haspani! An exciting week in the world of pro wrestling, uh, an interesting week in the world of metal. Welcome to Squared Circle Pit, a really awesome guest, Bubba Ray Dudley, moments away my chat with Bubba Ray and then after the chat if you're a fan of New Japan I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on there and if you're a first-time listener welcome to Squared Circle Pit Uh, we talk about the intersection of heavy metal and pro wrestling and I want to thank you for tuning in and please uh, check out some previous episodes we have a ton of great episodes both with pro wrestlers and with metal musicians talking about pro wrestling And we have uh, episodes in the archive with Kenny Omega, speaking of New Japan, Eric Bischoff, Chris Jericho, uh, Frankie Kazarian from Ring of Honor, former WWE announcer, Justin Roberts, Evolve Booker, Gabe Sapolsky. And on the metal side, we have really awesome conversations with Zach Wilde, Mike D, Jacob Bannon of Converge, Neurosis' Scott Kelly, Andy Williams of Every Time I Die, Jamie Josta, Corpse Grinder. Cannibal Corpse, Corey Taylor, lots of cool stuff. Check out the archives, metalinjection.net slash squaredcirclepit. I think the biggest story in wrestling this week is Daniel Bryan was finally cleared for competition. I think all signs point to a tag team match with Shane McMahon, him and Shane McMahon, Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, and I'm into it. I feel like this WrestleMania is really shaping up to be quite, quite, a great event between that match i'm looking forward to the nakamura aj styles match charlotte and uh asuka is going to be good i guess brock and roman reigns that could be interesting there's going to be a lot of really fun matches a lot of good stuff to look forward to at wrestlemania which is surprisingly only two weeks away that's crazy uh and they still haven't set up the john Cena undertaker match which i mean all right at least you got the two of them in one match, and we don't need a John Cena and an Undertaker match. We just have those in one. You know what I mean? I'm also looking forward to the Hall of Fame. Lots of fun people being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Goldberg. Sure. Uh, the Dudleys. Hillbilly Jim, who I was a, a big fan of growing up as a kid. I thought he was always really cool. I really love the overalls. And, if, and like I mentioned, the Dudleys. And the, one of the Dudleys is on my show. Bubba Ray Dudley. Longtime metalhead. Definitely was on my list when I first started uh, thinking about the show. I was like, oh, I definitely need to get Bubba Ray Dudley on. I know he's a legit metalhead. I had a lot of fun talking to Big Bubba Ray Dudley. I don't know why I'm saying it like that, but he was a a pleasure to talk to. We talked about some metal. We talked about some old ECW memories. And uh, we talked about his upcoming Hall of Fame induction. So here's my convo with Bubba Ray. Now entering the squared circle pit. Future WWE Hall of Famer Bubba Ray Dudley. Does it feel Does it feel good to to hear that to, to a future Hall of Famer? Is it something you always knew would happen? <laughs> well, if you're
1: gonna announce it, you got to do it the right way. Like King of the Mosh Pit. I mean, when you have a guy like Zach Wild who comes to you after he writes his first book and he says, "I want you to write the chapter on how to survive." the mosh pit you got to give me a much better
0: all right well, that, bro. let me do a let me do a, a second take then all right now entering the squared circle pit not only is he one half of the most decorated tag team in professional wrestling history not only is he a future wwe hall of famer he is the king of the mosh pit king bubba ray dudley that
1: that's a lot better and let me tell you something If you've ever seen me go, I'm like, when I go to like a Pretty Boy Floyd concert or a Poison or a Cinderella show,
0: I kick ass in the mosh pit. You bring the heat. Now, are are you doing any? (laughs) Are you doing a thrash? Are you are you doing something with your arms? What are your moves?
1: Uh, I I don't even know what I do.
0: I just I just just go crazy. Well,
1: I I, uh uh I, I I my first mosh pit was an anthrax show at L'Amour.
0: Nice. I was going to
1: ask. So That's a you, pretty good way to start, huh? Yeah,
0: you grew up in New York, right? You grew up in Queens? Yep. And so L'Amour is here in Brooklyn, which, where I was born and raised. And so that was your first show. How old were you?
1: And I don't even remember. I was, I was young. I had to be like uh, 15, 16.
0: Nice. And so did your passion for metal come first or pro wrestling? Or was it a uh, one and the same? My
1: my passion for pro wrestling was first. Like I remember as a kid in the late '70s, early '80s, uh, growing up and watching, you know, the WWF back then and watching tag team wrestling like uh, Korea and Martel versus Fuji and Saito, and um, I-, I I loved it from day one. And then uh, shortly after that, I bought a Kiss Live too. Uh, did I say a kiss live too? <laughs> kiss alive too. That's what happens when you get to you a, bought a kiss one too many times. <laughs> yeah, I bought a kiss alive. Yeah, I bought a kiss alive too and that's where my love was rock and roll
2: Like
1: many others though. So many other people have that same story. It's like you bought Kiss Alive too, and you opened up the uh, the double L P set and you're just like, Whoa, what is this? It was the coolest thing ever.
0: Right, like at that moment Kiss were like the uh, the Hulk Hogan or the Bruno San Martino of the rock world. They just they're the, they're the thing that drew everybody in to to get into it. And so that yes. was that was your gateway. So you went from Kiss and then how did you get into the thrash stuff like Anthrax?
1: Oh, just because it was it was going on and it was local and you know Lamore was the place to be. I had gone to Lemour as a kid. I had i had been to CBGB's Um, Actually there was a place out in Deer Park Long Island called Sparks That was a cool rock and roll club There was also uh, Sundance in Huntington Or Bayshore or something like that Where I saw a lot of cool gigs Um, So I was uh, I I really enjoyed going to to the smaller places And seeing the bands when they came through
0: Yeah and I feel New York at that time Was a great place For rock There was a great rock scene There was a lot of stuff happening I mean, even outside of CBGBs, there was a lot of metal stuff, like with Lemore and, and all these other venues you're talking about.
1: And, and they were all great places to go to.
0: What were some of the, the your most memorable local shows that you went to?
1: Well, I think the most memorable one, uh, I, I always get the date wrong, and I don't know why I screw this up, but I was at the Ritz in 87 for Guns N' Roses. Was it 87 or 88?
0: I'll look it up right now.
1: I think it was 87. And that rich show in New York City was like one of the most memorable Guns N' Roses shows ever. And I was there.
0: It was was 88.
1: Yeah, there you go, 88. But before that even happened, in like 1986, I remember being on vacation with my parents. And we did like a drive from... San Francisco to San Diego, and I was so excited because we were going to spend the night in LA. And I and I begged my parents to let me go out. And I remember looking at this this uh, this poster in front of the Roxy, and Faster Pussycat and Guns N' Roses were playing. Oh wow. And uh, and I and I and I got to see them before uh, you know they were anybody. This was when Axel was still teasing his hair
0: you saw you saw guns and roses on their home turf before anyone knew who they were. That was pretty correct pretty wild yep and uh and I feel like that that strip you know it was like the the it was the underground it was where the bands kind of broke through to the mainstream
1: oh, there's no doubt what what a place to go and any any time I'm back in L.A., I always love uh just head into that section of West Hollywood. You just give me the, uh, you give me the Rainbow, you give me the Saddle Ranch, you give me the Roxy, and I and I'm pretty much good to go. And the whiskey, of course.
0: Of course, yeah. And with the Rainbow, you know, back back in the day or up until a few years ago, you would always just see Lemmy there in his spot, playing the poker machine. That was just his hang. Nobody bothered him. Everyone knew he was there. Just his spot, and that I thought was the coolest thing.
1: Uh, Seeing Lemmy at the Rainbow, it just became, you know, like, not old hat, because you can't say, you know, seeing Lemmy gets old, but yeah, he was always there. And uh, one of my favorite stories uh, about Lemmy is one night, myself, Lemmy, and Paul Gargano, who I'm sure you know, who is the uh, editor of Metal Edge magazine, uh, we went to go see Steel Panther at the... uh, at the house of blues out there i'm almost positive it was Field panther and yeah. it was about two o'clock in the morning and we're filing out of the place and me lemmy and paul gargano are sitting on a bench outside the the house of blues gargano is throwing up all over himself with his head <laughs> down and like a pile of his own puke and lemmy just kind of looks over at me and he goes so bubba what did you think about that second song I wrote for Triple H? <laughs> and uh, I, was trying to tell, I was trying to tell Lemmy in the nicest way that, um, well, you know, because I, I, I kind of liked the first one better. And he goes, it's okay, don't worry. I, I know, the first one I wrote was better. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so getting drunk with Lemmy, talking about uh, Triple H's theme music while Gargano puked all over himself, is my favorite sunset strip story
0: that's pretty that's like one of those moments where you you find yourself outside of yourself like what is going on <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was a good night
0: and i feel like there's a lot of metalheads that are wrestling fans which is what i found doing this podcast interviewing a bunch of metal musicians and on my first show you you brought him up uh i had zach wilde who I was so impressed at, like, what a big wrestling fan he was. I was completely taken aback. And he dropped your name multiple times as a very good friend. And I was curious, how did you meet Zach Wilde?
1: First time I met Zach, I think, was in catering at a WWE show in L.A. or California somewhere. I just remember walking in one day. And there was Zach, and this is early, early Black Label. So this is, you know, post uh, post Ozzy, early Black Label, where Zach was still cleanly shaven. You know, his 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 blonde hair was still flowing and beautiful, <laughs> and he was smooth and pretty but he was wearing the jeans, the boots, and, you know, the black label jacket. So he was right in the middle of his transitional phase, you know? Um, And I, I believe that he had known Austin and Jericho, and I just got introduced to him, and, you know, we hit it off. And, you know, he's such a huge wrestling fan, you know, myself, you know, Jericho, Austin, all big rock and roll fans. So, you know, we just started talking and we always enjoyed conversating with each other and you know he's a big sports fan I was a big sports fan we stayed in contact over the years and yeah Zach's you know he's salt of the earth he's one of the greatest guitar players Absolutely. you know that'll ever ever you know uh string up a fiddle and <laughs> he's just uh he's uh he's, he's a good brother and a, and, a, and a good friend
0: yeah. And so you mentioned you talked to Austin and Jericho. Uh, do you have like a crew of, of wrestlers that you talk metal with? Do you have like a group text or whatever and just talk about bands or songs that you hear?
1: Actually, yes, I do have a group text with me, Jericho, and Dolph Ziggler.
0: Oh, and we're that's like awesome. a
1: bunch of little kids who just text about rock and roll at all times. Like, we never talk about wrestling, we don't talk about anything else. Uh, than than rock and roll normally we're talking about you know who's out on tour or what cover bands we saw who are trying to you know uh you know play with not even cover bands like what version of rat did you go see tonight
0: (laughs) right (laughs) which la guns were uh, you seeing yeah which (laughs) which version of la guns is out there la
1: guns with phil lewis or without him? you know So, uh, yeah, that's my that's my that's my click of rock and roll friends.
0: That's cool. And I think like I remember seeing a photo or something of you, Jericho, and maybe Paul Heyman uh, at an ACDC show. Is that does that ring a bell? Are you guys, yeah, you guys... I was
1: at a, any a, I was at an ACDC show with some friends of mine and my girl Velvet Sky. And we were having a great time. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jericho texted me and he goes, what section are you in? And, you know, I texted him back. I'm like, I'm over here. And he wound up being like five seats away from me. We just happened to be in the exact same spot. And uh, he came, you know, Jericho and and Paul came, hung out with us for the rest of the night. We watched the show together. And that's when Axel was uh, was fronting ACDC. I I thought it was a phenomenal show. Uh, I I loved it. And I'm excited to hear that they're going to be going back out again and possibly doing another album.
0: Yeah, you know, when I first heard, when a lot, I'm sure this was a lot of people's reaction, it was kind of like, oh, no, this this won't, there's no way this will work, but then you watch some of the bootlegs and you go see them live, and it completely works. It, was, it worked great, I felt.
1: The part that I loved about
0: it is, I mean, I'm a huge ACDC fan. I mean, to me, ACDC
1: is probably the greatest rock and roll band ever. Um, th- that's just my opinion. Um,
0: yeah, they're undeniable. Obviously,
1: Brian jo- I mean, obviously, Brian Johnson is great, but I was always a Bond Scott fan. I mean, you know, if you got to give me, you know, if if I, if I only had to listen to Power Age for the la- for the rest of my life, I'd be a happy guy. So, you know, not being able to see Bond perform, obviously, um, Axel was by far closest thing because he could sing songs that Brian just could never pull off and to hear him sing riff raff and you know you know songs like that live it, for me it was it was really cool
0: that's cool yeah I, I totally get what you're saying and, and it's a real testament to ACDC because I kind of feel like there's almost there are almost two different bands with the two different vocalists because of what they bring to the table and both in their own ways incredible and like change the game
1: yeah Uh, so i'm i'm excited to see you know what it will be like i'm i'm even more i would love to be a fly on the wall talking about acdc no pun intended to see the business that actually goes into this like will will angus actually collaborate with axel or will this just be business as usual for acdc where you know angus will write everything and then uh just hand it off to axel and tell him you know sing the songs that we wrote
0: right and with Axel, you know the the guy's known for his ego but at the same time he has such a respect for what acdc has done and what angus has done that you could sort of see him being completely cool with that and in a way it's kind of a load off his back because he doesn't have to uh he doesn't have the pressure of, of having to follow up you know the lyrics and the performance and everything and he just has to worry about the vocal p- delivery
1: I think that's such a testament to how big of a rock and roll machine and what kind of a band ACDC really are. I mean, nobody could keep Axel in check. Not even not his, his own management company, his own record company, his own bandmates, nobody except for, uh, you know, Angus and the, uh, the ACDC machine. I mean, <laughs> they never went on late. And what amazed me about watching ACDC and Axel live was Axel knew his role. He knows that it's the Angus show. And, you know, Axel was comfortable hanging out in the background and singing the lyrics. And, you know, he came to the front of the stage when he needed to. But Axel didn't need to be, nor did it look like he wanted to be the star of the show. He looked like that kid that was just happy to be there. And uh, to me, that was cool.
0: Yeah, I think that's the coolest part of it is you could see uh, the fan and Axl Rose kind of flipping out at the moment himself that he's up there with ACDC. Yes, I totally agree. That's awesome. And, you know, like, I, I was curious, there had to be a moment where, where, you know, you were listening to a song and being like, this would be such a great entrance theme. Like, have you ever thought of, like, what, if there was no such... Licensing holdups, what a great entrance theme for for you would be.
1: I mean, there there are so many. I mean I mean you could probably pick out so many different ACDC riffs, but I think if you just took the if you just take the beginning of Dirty Deeds and loop it, it's it's incredible entrance music. Yeah, that's
0: that's I mean how do you
1: how do you not get up on your feet and pump your fists, you know, to the opening riffs of Dirty Deeds? So just imagine looping that.
0: Yeah, and even if you're not paying attention, <laughs> you're gonna find your, you're gonna catch yourself headbanging because it's such an infectious earworm of a riff.
1: And, and one of the best opening songs that I ever heard ACDC perform, and I believe this is off of uh, the live version of "If You Want Blood," um, was "Riff Raff" live. I mean, they mm-hmm. hit the stage and they just sound so incredible. And that first song just grabs you by the throat and they never let you go. And uh you know that's the thing about A C D C. Sometimes I hear they there are songs from forty years ago and I feel like I'm listening it to the for the first time. And I just never get you know, never get bored of listening to
0: them. Yeah, you just get caught up in the in the movement of the song and you're just right back in it. And uh yep. for- and when you talk about ACDC, uh, like, my mind wanders, of course, to Balls Mahoney and, and Big Balls and that entrance. And one thing I feel that ECW probably doesn't get credit for is uh, how many people it exposed to, like, really good hard rock and heavy metal. Because the entrances were all really, really great songs. And it was such a... Like, ECW was, like, the heavy metal of pro wrestling. It was, like, the under... It was, like the like, the ECW arena... I feel it was akin to L'Amour, in that it was just this, you know, place where you had to know about it to know that this was the show.
1: Music was such an integral part of ECW and Paul had a a big set of balls for just using the songs and never getting permission for it. I mean, you know, every year we would do a show called Nove- uh, the November to remember and he would make his own video packages to sum up our storylines to the actual video of November Rain. That's right. <laughs> um, and, you know, think think of Sandman's music, some of the most you know memorable entrance music in the history of pro wrestling. You know, enter Sandman. Uh, the Dudleys used to use Highway to Hell. Uh, Shane Douglas, the uh, Bam Bam Bigelow used to use the zoo by the Scorpions.
0: That's right. Kaz
1: was using War Machine by, yeah. you know, by uh, kiss. kiss
0: yeah and shane douglas was using deep purple so, i think
1: yeah i mean so many great songs from so many great hard rock and metal bands and it, the music was so important to ecw and, and until today i i think entrance music is you know incredibly important because it primes the people for what they're about to see and you know uh, when me and dvon were in when wwe i got to uh we got to use Power Man 5000 song mm-hmm. Bombshell, right which uh was was a, was a pretty cool song and got those people up and uh pumping their fists
0: so yeah and it was the perfect song for you, good yeah for you guys it really spoke to your characters and i feel like with the entrance music like it's the first the first few bars are would really make a great entrance song cuz as soon as you recognize what's happening people are going to go nuts and and react really big as opposed to if it's a faded
1: moment from the moment you hear it, whether it's music or whether it's a sound, there's no, there's like no, no more memorable uh, sound than Austin's glass breaking, right. And you know it, it, it's just the shattering of the glass, but it almost feels like the first note to a song. You hear it, and you're immediately on your feet,
0: right. yeah, the crowd is on their feet before the first riff already because they already know what's what's happening. And with you guys, you have the like the bomb explosion. And uh, and then the, the pyro going off and it, it, it was immediately people people knew what was up. Uh,
1: Great stuff. I wish there was more legitimate entrances again for pro wrestling.
0: I always ha- uh, have this thing of like a wrestling show and a metal concert are a, a kind of paced the same way uh, where you kind of put, your, you know, something really exciting up front slow it down a little and then bring everyone back up at the end with like the big stuff. I feel like that's a great concert and that's a great wrestling show. Would you, would you agree with this theory of mine?
1: I I do. I just don't agree with the slowing down. Um, I I, I don't like a a rock and roll show or a wrestling show to ever slow down. I believe from the minute you open a show, Mm -hmm. you press the gas pedal as hard as you can and you keep going until you you know you can't go no more and yeah, i i don't I, I don't like having those dips and lulls i don't ever want to have a dip or a lull in my match and i and i don't want it in my rock and roll concert i don't want a strategically placed bad song just to bring me down uh, i want to just keep going up up up
0: you don't want like a a power ballad thrown in there to slow things down a little bit
1: not unless that power ballad can keep me going as and, and punch the hard rockers <laughs> You know, if Motley yeah. Crue plays home sweet home, you know, nobody's taking a piss break during, you know, home sweet home because that ballad is as good as, you know, live wire or kickstart my heart or red hot. Yeah. So, you know, I don't I don't want any dips in my show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, me and Devon used to pattern our wrestling matches um, after a kiss concert. We tried to open up with Detroit Rock City, go into Shout It Out Loud and finish with Rock and Roll All Night <laughs> every single night we performed. And that's my recipe for a great wrestling match. Uh,
0: I love that. I love that comparison. That's awesome. And of course, your Rock and Roll All Night is the tables. And I was uh, like, I know, like, the table, like, I, I, it got me to think, like, how did the table become a weapon? And I'm, I'm guessing it's the announce table that was there, right? That's how it initially, like, the table was introduced to wrestling, (laughs) like, storylines or whatever. Well,
1: the first time I believe that a table was actually used is when we saw Terry Funk pile drive Ric Flair on top of a table at an NWA show back in the day.
0: Yeah. And and that, but did, that was the announce table. table. Wasn't that the announced table, though? That he was, like Yeah, was, that was the
1: announced table that was yeah, at ringside. Right, right, yeah. right.
0: Okay, yeah, they didn't go through it. Yeah, that was like the first but usage it, of the table.
1: And that was just called on the fly, you know. You know, Funk just grabbed Blair and just said, Oh, don't worry about it, Ricky, I got you, son. Just come with me. <laughs> and then, you know, Pyle drives him, you know, onto a freaking table. <laughs> so, uh, and then, you know, many years later... I believe we saw Sabu start to put people through tables or put himself through a table to end a match. (laughs) Like, Sabu was just throwing his body all over the damn place, crashing and burning through tables. Mm -hmm. And then when ECW was born, a lot of different people were using tables. Sabu was using them. A tag team called The Public Enemy was using them. Of course. It wasn't really unique to any one act. It was part of the staple of ECW me when me and Devon had gone together you know we occasionally used tables just like we occasionally used chairs or any other weapon in ECW but it wasn't until you know WWE where one night i just decided to push Devon and say Devon get the tables and it just caught on like wildfire after that
0: Right. It was just it just the luck of the just spont- spontaneity, and and you just kept kept doing it, and now it's a, a signature phrase. I mean, that's how most great things happen.
1: Listen, Devon, get the tables was off the top of my head, just like Austin three sixteen means I just whooped your ass, like it was off the top of Steve's head. Right. There was no planning going into those lines.
0: And. It's crazy now, 20 years later, I feel tables are like the most popular weapon that wrestlers can use. It could be, I I could be watching like a crazy weapons match. They got chairs, the kendo sticks, everything. Even after they're throwing everything around, people then still are chanting, we want tables no matter what. And I feel the Dudleys are a big reason for that.
1: Uh, there, there's no doubt. You never hear people chanting "We want chairs," or "We want ladders," or "We want thumbtacks." You always hear them chanting "We want tables," um, and and that, that's pretty cool because um, you know that's like a little piece of the wrestling history that me and Devon helped to carve out. And when we went back to WWE in 2015, um, a couple of the guys told us that. In our ten-year absence from WWE, whenever the guys would use a table, they would always refer to it as a Dudley table. You know, so they'd say to it, "Hey, we're going to pull out a Dudley table and you know do this," <laughs> and that's how it was differentiated from the announce table or any other table. So
0: that's always amazing. Cool
1: to hear stories like that.
0: Yeah, you guys are forever intertwined with a big weapon <laughs> in pro wrestling. A big. Yeah. You know, thank uh, God, thank God for that piece of
1: furniture. Because if we had to rely on our wrestling ability, we'd be screwed.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> good thing it's a table and not and not thumb th- thumbtacks. That would be a, a very painful uh, uh, experience every time you had to pull those out, even if you're not taking one
1: them. time. One time, we actually set up a table, put thumbtacks all over it, and then set the table on fire and power bomb Balls Mahoney through it. That uh. What we didn't realize is that all the thumbtacks would go flying into the air while they were lit on fire. <laughs> oh so God. that created for an interesting scenario
0: post-match. I do remember that series of matches you guys had with like Balls and, and Axel Rotten. And it seemed like every match, almost every, like there was a series of like five or six matches where there was at least a burning table spot. And it was, uh, it to me, that was the, the like that, Point with like the violence you guys were doing, and then the the uh, like technical stuff that RVD and Jerry Lynn was doing. It was like the most well-rounded wrestling show you can get. It was like a buffet of every style of wrestling you would you could ever want out of a show. And uh,
1: and that was that that was the beauty of ECW. Man, they gave you we always gave you a little bit of everything. And you know, just like people chant, we want tables. People chill. St- still chant ECW to this day. Nobody's chanting WCW. Nobody's chanting NWA. Nobody's chanting AWA. You know, <laughs> 20 some odd years later, they still chant ECW. And, you know, and there's a reason why. And, and I've said it a couple of times. ECW was the Napster of the wrestling business.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Napster, Napster went out of business, but it revolutionized the way we listen to music. ECW went out of business but it revolutionized professional wrestling and brought you this adult oriented in your face brand of pro wrestling that slowly turned into the attitude era.
0: Yeah, I think the what separated ECW from anything else was they kind of played like the audience was in on it. Uh, you got like it was like a wink and a nod like we're all on the same page. Which I think with WWE they and WCW at the time they always kind of talked down to you and were like shilling, whereas ECW was like like your buddy like hey come here check this out.
1: You see the fan base in ECW and the fans that came to each and every ECW show were just as important to the show as the wrestlers and the show itself because they truly were a part of the company. They were so loyal, so dedicated. Um, they they told you when they loved something, and they and they let you know when they hated it. Listen, if an ECW crowd didn't respect you or didn't like you, they would stand up and turn their backs to the ring. Nothing says "f you" more than a fan turning their back to a, <laughs> a ring, and you had to earn the respect of an ECW crowd.
0: Yeah, and and I feel like they these are people who have seen wrestling. They they. You can't pull one over on them. You can't, it's got to be something unique. Uh, and with with the chanting, I feel that's one of ECW's biggest legacies. First of all, ECW is where the woo started with the chops, with Ric Flair chops. Uh, and I feel like ECW's kind of uh, birthed, like, you know how there's the, the Raw after WrestleMania and everyone's doing the crazy chants. I feel like that's. In my head, it feels like it's a crowd who watched, like, ECW One Night Stand and wants to be, like, that kind of crowd. <laughs> Would that be fair Well, there's Well, no,
1: there, there's no doubt. All of these crowds today, these crowds of today are trying to be, and when I say trying to be, I don't mean it in a negative way. They're trying to they're emulate like the fun. Yeah. Right. yeah, they're emulating the fun that an ECW crowd used to have. Because, you know, if you went to a WWF show back in the day, you know, you sat on that other side of the guardrail and you just kind of watched the show. If you went to an NWA show back in the day, you sat on a, you know, that other side of the guardrail and you watched the show. The EC, ECW show, you, know, you felt like you were a part of the action. And I'm very proud to say that many a night people jumped over those guardrails to try to get at me and Devon and we knocked them the fuck out.
0: <laughs> See, it's like you wore many hats Because not only were you a, a professional wrestler I know you were involved a little bit with the behind the scenes stuff Of like organizing the shows But you were also like an insult comedian most nights <laughs> uh, uh, Really getting to uh, some I, of these
1: Insults, insult, yes Comedy, I don't know to, about
0: that <laughs> Well, it was funny to, to the people watching at home Not necessarily to the people in the crowd
1: Yes, that's true
0: <laughs> and uh but i thought like that was the interesting part of ecw too was that if you if you wanted to put in the effort you could kind of like i'm sure you got quite an education on a behind the scenes of putting on a show and just promoting a show and that that's the same if it's wrestling or music that's just like putting on entertainment
1: yeah i give paul all the credit in the world because at one point when todd gordon had left the company uh there was a huge void to fill you know Paul didn't have anybody booking the towns or you know getting the buildings or taking care of all of the responsibilities that Todd had and I kind of told Paul hey man I'll do it and he goes well what experience do you have I go none I said but I know (laughs) I can pull it off so you know I'm proud to say that I was the guy you know who was you know, putting the dates together and booking the towns and negotiating the buildings and anything that went on with ECW from like 97, late 97 to 90, late 99, when it came to the product, other than the booking of the show or the merchandising was all of my responsibility. And I got a hell of an education outside of the ring which, you know, I can take with me to this day. And, you know, when my in-ring career is, you know, over, which it basically is now I'm, you know, utilizing those talents to help out other companies such as a ring of honor.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So like that's a lot of responsibilities that you would find in the metal world as well. Like, it sounds like you were the booking agent, the tour manager, just all the logistical stuff. And, and that's great that, uh, it's something you can keep doing when when you're not in the ring. I think that's awesome.
1: Yes, and um, and it, it's an also it's a great way to continue to earn a living in the wrestling business despite not being in the ring anymore.
0: And if, if we're t- you, you touched on it earlier a little bit, but I want to ask you what it was like to be a part of what I consider the most metal moment in professional wrestling history, which was the one night stand at Hammerstein where uh, Sandman came out. To Metallica, and it, and bless Vince McMahon for paying for the pay per view rights for Enter Sandman, uh, and you couldn't even hear the song because every person in the crowd was singing Enter Sandman, and it was so, it was such a moment.
1: Um, the backstory to that is pretty interesting. In two thousand and four, maybe. Late 2004, me and my big fat friend Tommy Dreamer were driving down the road. <laughs> and I remember saying to him, I go, Tommy, I would give my left nut to be standing in the middle of the ring again just to hear Sandman's entrance play one more time. Because me and Devon would, you know, back in the day, we'd go out there and rile the people up. And then Tommy and the Sandman would hit the ring to enter Sandman. And you know the, the the shit was on, and I, I just I just knew that if we could ever pull that off one more time, how cool it would be. And all credit to Vince, you know, Vince listened. Vince, Rob Van Dam went to Vince McMahon and said, "Listen, ECW still has legs, and we have to do something with it." And Vince listened to Rob, and I'll never forget. Vince called me and Devon into his office one day. And he said, what do you think about bringing back ECW? And, you know, we we told them all, you know, the reasons we thought it would be a great idea. And, you know, then Dreamer and Heyman, you know, wrote the show or, you know, Dreamer wrote the majority of the show, I believe. And, you know, it happened. And it was an incredible night in the history of wrestling. And in my opinion, the greatest entrance in the history of pro wrestling. You can't tell me that anything tops it. Yeah, Undertaker might have a more spectacular entrance, and people may pop louder on the glass breaking, but you will never find as emotional of a moment as you will uh, the night of one night stand where the the Sandman makes his entrance and 4,000 people in unison... Are singing Enter Sandman.
0: You're right it, it, because I mean, obviously, you're right. <laughs> you were there, uh, but uh, it's you know the people singing it. It wasn't just singing a Metallica song. It was just recapturing that moment of, of the fun of of an ECW show, and that's what ECW was. Like you said, it was it was just fun, just pure fun.
1: <laughs> it it really was, and you know, I, I challenge anybody. To, to find me another entrance that was as fan interactive as the Sandmans and as much fun.
0: Yeah, like he went through essentially the entire crowd. He started up in the balcony and, and, and slowly, like the whole song played, I feel, before he even got into the ring. And and I, just talking about it right now, I'm I'm genuinely just getting the exact same chills I had watching it. Uh, I was, I, I had a, I threw like a big party and I remember there was, uh, a person there who wasn't really a wrestling fan, just came to hang out. And even, like, he couldn't even deny what a crazy moment that particular moment was. It was, it was, it was like, I don't want to, like, I wanna, it was just the most, everyone was in unison, everyone was on the same page. It was, it was amazing. But anyway. <laughs> it, there's,
1: there's, there's, there's no words, yeah. So It, it, it was definitely a cool moment.
0: Cool, man. Well, Bubba, thank you so much uh, for for taking some time. I know you're a busy guy, for hanging out, talking to me about some heavy metal, some pro wrestling. Are there any particular songs you're currently jamming, anything on your playlist that you – remember the last thing that you were just, like, rocking out hard to?
1: I got to tell you, man, um, nothing new. Nothing new really does it for me, unfortunately. Um. You know, I know everybody was busting Gene Simmons balls, uh, you know, five or six years ago or however long it was when he said rock and roll is dead. But I mean, you tell me, man, rock and roll is your business. Heavy metal is your business. What band has come out in the past five to 10 years that we're going to be talking about in the next 10 to 20 years?
0: Uh, That's a great question. And I think the, the thing is I don't think there will ever be a band that can get, that big where everybody's talking about them but there's I feel like there will like the last few big bands I talk about this with my friends all the time it's like who are they like who are the who who's like the next Metallica and even that you think like is it Slipknot is it Avenge Sevenfold even those bands they've been around now for 20 years and they're never gonna get that big so I don't know who's the next big band but if you do a little digging there's plenty of small bands (laughs) yeah but you know but but
1: but, you know like i said earlier you know sometimes you know i'll put on uh you know an A C D C song you know like if you want blood or you know sin city you know songs from so long ago that i feel like it's the first time i'm hearing them and I, i can't tell you the last time i listened to new music that really really drove me the way an ACDC song or a Motley Crue song or a Kiss song or a Metallica song or a Pantera song does. Mm-hmm. And I'm begging for somebody, or a Guns N' Roses song. You know, the list goes on and on. I mean, when, who is the next Van, You know, Eddie Van Halen? Where is the next Zach Wild? Where's the next Tommy Lee? Where's the next David Lee Roth? Where's the next Kiss? Where's the next entertaining band? You know? Yeah. Like, where is the next rock and roll show coming from?
0: There's an absolute shortage of rock and roll bands. I'll absolutely agree with you there. Just hard rock bands to bring people into the scene to like explore and get into the heavier stuff, which won't ever hit the mainstream like a great hard rock band would.
1: And, and that's, that's what I think Gene meant when he said rock and roll is dead. I think what he was trying to say is there's nobody to pick up where we're going to leave off. Because when you think about it, when Motley's done like they are, and Kiss is done, and is done, and Van Halen's done, and Ozzy's done, I mean, these guys are all in their 60s and their 70s. When, when, when ACDC's done, who's taking over?
2: Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, Nobody. You know, so, exactly, and that's the sad part. That's why really, I continue to listen to the same songs I've been <laughs> listening to on my you know, on my iPod. My friends always—they bust my balls. They go, you know, you got your top twenty-four songs, and that's all you listen to. I said, until somebody can, put, you know, give me something good enough to listen to to be that twenty-fifth song, I'll st- I'll stick to what I got.
0: <laughs> there you go. Everyone listens to music at their own pace, so that that's there that's the pace that you pick. Uh, awesome, man. Well, Bubba, I want to, uh, of course, mention you are on Busted Open Radio which is weekdays on Sirius XM Rush. Uh which is awesome. You are doing the you're, you get into the radio game using your voice a little more. Less you don't got to take any bumps on the radio. <laughs> uh
1: no bumps on the radio, but I am putting some massive strain on my vocal cords lately.
0: Mm, interesting. Of course, I, Yeah, I...
1: all this talking, yeah. It feels like my throat is taking bumps.
0: And of course, the WWE Hall of Fame. Huge congratulations, much deserved for yourself and Devon. And the Hall of Fame is always one of the best nights of the year when everyone just has some fun. It's another very fun night.
1: Uh, It it definitely is, and you know people. um, You know people are really excited for me and Devon, and you know we appreciate that. And you know me and Devon, in our own right, we're you know we're, we're excited. I think I'm excited for different reasons. You know, we're, we've been here talking a little bit about ECW and I'm most proud of the fact that me and Devon are the first original ECW act to be inducted into the WWE hall of fame. And I'm also really proud of the fact that at the end of the day, me and Devon did it, you know, our way, you know, there's two versions of the song, my way, There's the Frank Sinatra version and there's the, uh, Sid Vicious and the Sex Pistols version, and I, you know, <laughs> right. me and Devon definitely did it the Sid Vicious and the Sex <laughs> Pistols version way. Um, me and Devon were never supposed to be successful, but we knew we had something special. The first night we ever stepped in a ring together, and um, we went out there and we truly did it our way. And we're proud to say that we conquered the world of tag team wrestling. And much like Gene said, rock and roll is that. Me and Devon are waiting for the next tag team to come around and even remotely challenge the the, the lineage of tag team championships that we have won all over the world. Mm. And I don't say that out of ego; I say that out of fact.
0: And That is a challenge. I'm sure uh, a team like the Young Bucks might might dispute that challenge, but they still no, have they some catching up they to can't do.
1: Dispute they can't dispute shit. Um, but um, if there's <laughs> one team on the planet right now that I really enjoy watching, it's the Bucs, because I've seen them evolve to these two little scared little kids who were terrified to even say hello to you, to, you know, the best tag team on the planet today, who are doing it their way. And that's, that's right. why I'm I, I'm happy for them and why I'm proud of them, because, they are staying true to themselves. They're doing it their way. They're one of the most organic, talked about acts on the planet, and they're making a boatload of money.
0: One final question before I let you go. What is the ultimate dream opponent for the Dudleys?
1: Uh, it's easy. I've been asked that question a million times. You really aren't you know, I like right, mean, a, great job a modern a modern
0: <laughs> You're gonna say I know what you're gonna say. You're gonna say the Road Warriors. Well, yeah,
1: that's the, that's the match that everybody you know, would have liked to have seen happen, the Dudleys yeah. versus the Road Warriors. I can tell you right now, it would not have been nearly as good as the Dudleys versus the Hardys or the Dudleys versus <laughs> Edge and Christian or you know, any of the other teams we worked with. But just for the, the, um, you know, the sheer, uh, I guess, history of both teams, the Dudleys versus the Road Warriors would have been some great fantasy warfare. And, and me and Devon admit to this day, The Road Warriors are the greatest tag team of all time. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Me and Devon are the most successful tag team of all time. We're the most decorated tag team of, of all time. And we have the greatest tag team finishing move of all time in the Dudley Death Drop. But the Road Warriors were the greatest because the Road Warriors could main event every town every night and sell the place out. And that's what made them the greatest.
0: And also because their entrance theme was Black Sabbath, Iron Man, all ties together? How bad? <laughs> the most
1: probably, probably the most
0: badass entrance music ever. Absolutely, absolutely, without question. Awesome. Well, this was great, Bubba. Thank you again so much. Congratulations on all the accolades, and uh, I look forward to hearing more of your voice, your your wonderful, charming voice on on busted open radio. <laughs> The smooth,
1: sultry sounds of my sandpapery voice.
0: <laughs> all right, have a great one, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, that man. Take that care. was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. Thank you, Bubba Ray Dudley, for hanging out on Squared Circle Pit. And uh, this is a great weekend for pro wrestling. I have to say, if you haven't watched New Japan and and are thinking about, hey, you know, I'd really like to jump in and see what all the hype is about. Tomorrow night, Sunday night, Access TV. Strong Style Evolved. It's going to be a special New Japan show. I think it's about three hours. There's going to be a ton of awesome matches. And the main event is the Golden Lovers. Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi versus Young Bucks. It's going to be ridiculous. Highly recommend checking out the show. It's on Access. Jim Ross, Josh Barnett are going to be calling it. And New Japan has been on fire lately. I've been watching New Japan Cup. It's their annual spring tournament, and the winner of the New Japan Cup every year gets a world title shot, and there were a ton of great matches. In the first round, I thought Michael Elgin versus Ishii was insane. It was like a 90s All-Japan type of match. Uh, All of Ibushi's matches were great. Ibushi had the best match I've ever seen Yoshihashi in, (laughs) Uh, and he had a incredible, unreal, unbelievably awesome match with Zack Sabre Jr. And I was stunned, stunned that Zack Sabre Jr. won the match. And at that point, I figured, oh, he has to, he's pretty much going to be winning the whole thing. And he went on to beat Sonata and Tanahashi, all with submission victories. He made all of his opponents tap out. And even in the first round, he also made Naito tap out. So now it's going to be Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. Zack Sabre Jr. saying... He's going to make Okada tap out. Okada, of course, being the the ultimate babyface, the ultimate superhero, he's never going to give up. But, uh, you know, a few other guys uh, wouldn't give up. Naito wouldn't give up, and the ref had to stop the match because Naito was just so tangled up. He had nowhere to go. He couldn't escape. It, it was just going to not end, so the ref had to stop it. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to what the two of those guys are going to do. And congratulations to Zack Sabre Jr. I have to say when him and Ibushi were in the Cruiserweight Classic a few years ago and Zack Sabre Jr. and Ibushi didn't sign, at the time I was like, oh man, that sucks. Like, it'd be so cool to see Zack Sabre Jr. But in retrospect, the man made the best uh, call. Because he's a much, much bigger star now than he was at the Cruiserweight Classic. He's headlining shows in Japan. There's no way he would have probably been on 205 Live, him and Ibushi as well. And their talents would have been completely wasted and completely underappreciated. Meanwhile, they're shining beacons of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I I love New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm sure you could tell by how much I am just... Going on and on about it here at the end of this episode, and I uh, just want to recommend check out Strong Style Evolved. It's on Access TV. New Japan actually has a weekly show, I believe, on Friday nights on Access TV where they show you an hour of of great matches, and it's about a month behind uh, what's going on in Japan. But if you don't really read the results online, you wouldn't know. And the wrestling is so unbelievably good; it doesn't matter that it's slightly outdated. Check out New Japan, and please check out uh, more episodes of Squared Circle Pit, metalinjection.net slash Squared Circle Pit. You can, of course, follow me on social media. I'm Rob Injection, all over the place. And uh, Squared Circle Pit is on Facebook and on Twitter, at Squared Circle Pit on Twitter, no E in circle. And I guess that's going to do it for this one. See you on the flip.